All right, so welcome everybody. This is the Point of View podcast. Uh, Ralph Perry. Say hi, boys. Hey, how's it going? I'm Phil. What it do? It's Adrian. How are you guys doing today? Uh, pretty good than yourself. I'm all right. I'm tired. I would expect you. You woke up really early, my guy. Today, you know, it's a Saturday. I didn't see. Gonna, gonna be a good day because you know it's the weekend. I'm off an off, off an all nighter. Just want to <laughs> okay. True. You're gonna be so tired tonight. I'll be alright. I'll, I'll take yeah. a nap. We're st- we're still having a party later, so you know you gotta. We're still having a you know an online party, so. Okay. Just take like you know like a two hour siesta after this. You'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. We have more people. Kareem, my sister, my uncle. Oh, your uncle's joining the party? Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. My uncle, my sister, family friend. Um, so this episode is about um, the Black Lives Matter protest and everything that's been going on. Did anybody want to start in a particular place? I kind of want to set, set, set this up as, as interviews because all three of us have unique experiment. I mean, all three of you guys have unique experiences. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting. That's true. Um, so how would you prefer to do it since you said interview? Would you like to like do you yeah. want us to tell our story first, or do you want to like go after specific? Uh, like, with, with Mervin and Phil, because I know both of you guys have been to protests recently. So, how has that been? All right. So, in terms of protests, um, I've gone to a protest uh, two weeks ago. I went to the one in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, overall, the protest was pretty peaceful, at least the area that I was in. Um, I was actually pretty much directly in front of the state house, only like, I'd say like maybe a couple meters away. Um, there, uh, I got to stay for a couple hours, listen to, um, basically people's stories about discrimination. Uh, we said multiple chants, um, felt the positive energy and the energy that we wanted for change. Um, there were people of all different color. It didn't matter whether you were black, white, Asian, Latino. Everyone was just really calling for change because they saw the systemic racism and realized that while there is racism for every race, currently blacks are receiving the front of it, the brunt of it, and wanted for wanted to basically make it better so that way everyone has a chance for equal opportunity. Yeah. I think um, one of the things I wanted to start off with is the defunding the police movement. Um, what do you guys think about that? What are your initial thoughts when I say those words? Go with Mervin. What do you think about defunding the police? Say that one more time, please. I said, what do you think about defunding, defunding the police? Um, I believe that it's the proper course of action. Um, I believe that as we grow and develop as a society, we need to take a look at what works and what doesn't work. And policing in America is terribly broken. Um, We use the police for just about everything. Um, 
And as that is the case, the scope of their duties is too large and too broad, and they end up in situations where their presence is actually only an escalation of whatever is happening. And I think that the um, the whole point of the defunding the police movement isn't trying to get rid of the police entirely, but instead reinvest in treating the symptoms that we use the police to treat rather um, or rather the um, root illness that we use the police to treat instead of just, you know, treating the symptoms. Um, and just to be a little bit clearer on that, because I did stumble on my words, essentially, um, my, my favorite example are police officers at schools. Now, there are hundreds, thousands of schools in the United States that have police officers in them. But they don't have, um, they don't have nurses, guidance counselors, therapists, any of that. Kids don't get recess, things of that nature. And teachers use the cops to enforce rules on the students. That makes them no better than prisoners. And many um, students I knew who came out of that environment with the resentment of police for that very reason, because they feel like prisoners. And you might think that they're there to prevent something like the school shooting, but the Supreme Court already told us that officers are not required to put their lives on the line for something like that. So then why are they really there? What if instead we took the money that we are spending having these officers in school put a couple of security guards in the school instead, and then redistribute the rest of the money to get nurses, um, mental health care staff, like social workers and therapists and counselors on hand so that a student never gets to the point of wanting to shoot up the school. And if he does, the, we have um, people in place who are actively listening to the students, looking at the situation, identifying the student, and if he says something like, I'm going to shoot this whole place up the next time he comes into school, the guards are out there waiting for him, they stop him, and then they just take him to the local precinct, and, and it never happens, because they were paying attention, they were investing in the mental health and welfare of their students, and um, I think from what I've seen um, from other places that have implemented similar um, methods, that that is the best way to go. It's just a nice example because it's all encompassing. But if you look at any single U.S. city, the largest single expenditure is the police. And when you're investing that much money in the police and so little in everything else, all you're you're basically a police force with underfunded community initiatives surrounding it. That's all your city becomes. Uh, you know, I've said it before. I always love having your take and opinion specifically on things because uh, you you know you speak very well. You're very open. You're okay with uh, talking about your opinion. And I, I think you're right. <clears throat> I, you know, I've said 
before and I'll say it again. I really don't want to say where I stand on the whole issue until after I see how things run with Minneapolis. Obviously, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, but I also want to see how things go. I agree wholeheartedly that we do still need the police. They're there for a reason. But I've, I've said before, I don't know if I've said it on specifically the podcast, but I've said how I feel. I, I think that police, like the police HR system should be more, should be set up more like a sort of a judge and a jury type type of deal. Like I, I feel like there should be more of an accountability held within itself prior to someone making a bad decision. And I also believe uh, that one, I think we can all agree, uh, it should be harder to become a cop. There, It should be more of like a four-year institution rather than what it is currently. And that I also believe that rookie police, you know, first-year cops, cops that don't handle anything big, not doing the biggest drug bust in the world, you know, maybe a park cop or a school cop doesn't need to be armed. Uh, what's your take on that, Mervin and Philip? Right. So <clears throat> personally, um, the way that I see, it, at least for the um, movement in terms of police, uh, in terms of police brutality and policing in general, um, for the police system, I've seen basically three different sides one is abolishing the police completely, which entails getting rid of the police, replacing it with a completely new police system, um, whether it be uh, civilian run, um, con- uh, civilian run uh, control or uh, its own form of policing, uh, whether it be completely just uh, getting rid of all the police and making another government, uh, another set of government facilities that. Uh, essentially do the same thing as police, but at a lesser degree. Um, then there's defunding the police, which is removing a portion of the funds, whether it be large or small, and distributing it uh, throughout to other uh, groups that would um, help, uh, that, that could help in other situations. And then there is the uh, last case, which is reforming the police, which is basically changing our, our current system that we have and not removing the police system. And the way that I look at it is I agree more, uh, more closely with the last two that I just said, which is defunding the police and reforming the system. Essentially, uh, the poli- uh, police, um, I think, have a very large budget. Um, the budget is five times the amount of some of the other key sectors that we need for essential change and help within the country. Um, to put it in perspective, there's, there was one state uh, that I remember that had, essentially I think it was like a, a billion dollars worth per year for the police budget, while the other five sectors had literally half of that combined. Um, that was probably New York City, if it's the graphic I think you're talking about. I be- Yeah, that's what I think it was. I think it was the New York City one. Um, and essentially, while I do know that they have a, while I do know that technically they don't have a lot of cops in terms of the number of people there, I think it was like, I think someone said yesterday it was 18 cops per 10,000. Um, the cops don't have to be doing all of the tasks that they're currently like uh, assigned to do. 
Um, so in defunding the police, even if you reduced from 18 to 12 cops, if you gave things like mental support and health groups to say psychiatrists or the actual groups that support that and are equipped with the skills to handle those situations um, and finding people that say have autism and have like left their, and have accidentally left their caretakers instead of giving that to the police, we give that to the people who are adept with the situation to make sure that the person who's autistic doesn't feel uncomfortable when they meet the people that are trying to help them, doesn't feel scared or try to run away again. Um, because sometimes police officers are really intimidating. And if they don't understand, and if you say this person's missing, but you don't tell them they're autistic, they could put in a very large aggressive amount of force, which was seen in a couple cases, which results in more harm than good. Um, so I think that defunding the police isn't just defunding them, but it's also spreading out and distributing it to key sectors because police also don't have to handle handle animal cases where like uh where like there's aggressive animals outside that should be animal control which people don't think to call a lot of the time but should be more used to calling it because that's an important situation where uh the police would just shoot the animal in most cases um when you see a dog out there and it's very aggressive you shouldn't be calling the police you should be calling animal control or the or veterinary care whatever is needed at the time um and then in terms of police reform um while civilian while civilian policing could be a thing i think that that's too risky and would take a lot a large amount of time to like have properly work out also there are civilians that also hold racist ideals so doing it that way may not necessarily be the great idea if you live in a state where it's predominantly of conservative views and has racist opinions so I think having having policing, but with stricter regulations, such as training the police force for a longer period of time, because one, why, or why are police trained only for eight months when it takes a lawyer six to eight years to get their degree? The person who's enforcing the law in the court has to take six to eight times more than the person who's enforcing it. Uh, okay. The person who's enforcing it should at least get like, two to four years worth of, of work. Like they, while in those two to four years, they can have like on the job training with, with supervisors. It shouldn't be during the first year. The first year should strictly be schooling, maybe a little bit of like psychiatric evaluations as well as like psych training, because some cases there might be a person who has autism or that just happens to be there. And you, and you're the one who's who needs to be adept in the situation. So there should be, like uh, not only physical hand-to-hand -hand combat training, but how to de-escalate a situation, how to make sure that the situation doesn't worse than it currently is. Because clearly in most cases, if something's not going the way the cop wants, they're not de-escalating it. Getting more aggressive isn't a solution. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah. And then the, the last part that I want to say about um, police reform, they're, there's a lot of incentives for police to make a certain amount of arrests and a certain amount of uh, certain amount of arrests and a certain amount of like uh, tickets given out, which yes, technically means that they're doing their job, right? Cause they need to be giving out tickets to people who are doing wrong. But I think that for every arrest that they do, there should be a fact check and look at whether the arrest that they gave or the ticket that they gave was actually correct because by giving them incentives to just do it to whoever you could uh you're basically telling cops hey i'm 
doing my job right as long as I'm bringing people in and they're not looking at the quality of arrest, which results in people being in fear because, hey, I can be arrested. They risk saying, hey, I can be arrested for anything, even if I look like I'm doing nothing. And there's been cases where I've seen people like get planted with evidence just for a cop to essentially meet their quota, which is not okay. And that's honestly just a blatant disregard for the country as well as the people who are living in it. I want to touch on that point that you said where cops have a quota to meet, uh, like an arrest quota or like a a traffic stop quota. Um, there's a documentary. I'm not sure who who is by, but I know Trevor. I know that Trevor Noah talked about it on his podcast, where um, it was a black NYPD officer who basically was uh, recording all the all the stuff that he saw at the precinct and uh was planning to like release it to the public but like basically like what he's saying like you know like he was like yeah like i joined the police force just to see you know what the training was just to see witness it firsthand he's like yeah I, I was a black man and to a lot of my friends and peers i was seen like as a traitor you know for like going to join the police with the, the police force especially the nypd who you know has history with stop and frisk and bunch yeah. of other complicated things so i wanted to ask the group uh and this for anybody who wants to jump in here like what do you guys think about um that where you know that this per this black man who has dealt with how dealt with uh systemic racism and been a and been a victim to the system him deciding to you know swallow his pride uh join the police force and then now that he's in the police force make friends with the good cops and then they're all staging like a coup uh, a coup of sorts to um expose the NYPD. Like what are you guys' thoughts on that? I uh, think well, uh, oh no go. Um I think <laughs> I don't think it'll uh go as well as they um want it to. I don't truly believe that policing in this country can really be, I mean, you can't see me doing air quotes right now, but reformed. And the reason I say that is simply because there's too much of this inane sense of brotherhood within police departments that they need to watch each other's backs and take care of each other regardless of situation. On a conceptual level, I agree with there needing to be um, a bond and trust with officers, but it shouldn't go to the extent that, that officers are covering up each other's crimes. That's simply unacceptable. And also punishing those officers who have the moral wherewithal to speak out against such activities. Um, so with, with, with these, um, with this officer that you're speaking of, I mean, the very fact, like, did he already, um, I have to ask, did he already, um, like get the info did he already um get exposed because 
So I'm sharing the screen right now. Um, a black police officer's fight against the NYPD. Edwin Raymond thought he could change the department from the inside. He rounded up the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit brought by 12 minority officers. This was in 2016. Um, let me just try and get this into reading mode. Uh, I'm just going to start reading it. Every morning before his shift, Edwin Wayman, the 30-year-old officer in the New York Police Department, ties up his long dreadlocks so that they won't brush against his collar, as the job requires. On December 7th, he carefully pinned them up in a Nautilus powder and buttoned the brass buttons of his regulation dress coat and pulled on a pair of white cotton gloves. He used a lint roller to make sure his uniform was spotless. In a few hours, he would appear before three of the department's high-ranking officials at a hearing that would determine whether he would be promoted to sergeant. He'd often stayed up late wondering how this conversation would play out, but now that moment was here. He felt surprised. But now that the moment was here, he felt surprisingly calm. Uh, I'm going to just skim through this. Uh, uh, over the last two years, so this is published in 2016. So from 2014 to 2016, Raymond has recorded almost a dozen official officials up and down the chain of command in what he says is an, is an attempt to change the daily practices of the NYPD. He claims these tactics contradict the department's rhetoric about the arrival of a new era of fairer, smarter policing. In August 2015, Raymond joined 11 other police officers in uh, filing a class action lawsuit on behalf of minority officers throughout the force. The suit, center on, the suit centers on whether they claim, the suit centers on what they claim is one of the fundamental policies of the New York Police Department, requiring officers to meet fixed numerical goals for arrests and court summonses each month. In Raymond's mind, quota-based policing lies at the root of almost everything racially discriminatory about policing in New York, yet the department has repeatedly told the public that quotas don't exist. I think that's a good place to stop and discuss. Um, I'll okay. keep reading this, but so let me um, let me wind it all the way back. Um, as you guys can probably tell, I'm fully in support of um, of defunding the police. I still think they serve a purpose, so I don't think that they should be disbanded entirely. But I don't think that they can be reformed because there are far too many officers. It's far too decentralized. There is no accountability. The training is far too short. I heard it previously quoted at eight months. Um, the longest I could find was actually six months. So it's even less than that. And in all honesty, there just just the idea that cops plant um or not even the idea the reality that cops plant drugs to meet quotas or invent crimes to protect themselves when they for example hit someone at um because the person mouthed off to them i mean when you have when you're putting people in such a position of power you have to hold them accountable otherwise you end up in the situation we're currently in and people know that the brotherhood of police officers is the thing it's not it's not a secret to anyone and yet we still take them at face value when they have this us versus them mentality and that shouldn't exist the reason why you have people saying that there are no good cops or that all cops are bastards is because even if you're joining the police force for a good reason if that job requires you to 
act in a certain way, and most police departments discourage their cops from acting in what you would consider a morally accountable way, and then how can you be a good cop? You can still be a good person, but if you're actively encouraged to do something that fundamentally goes against what your actual duties are, then you're not good at that particular job. In this case, is policing. So, um, Philip made a lot of the points that I was going to make, um, um, defunding the police, um, taking that money, reinvesting it in community initiatives, like increasing access to mental health care, um, to physical um, health care, um, towards keeping the, uh, the community cleaner. Um, people who live in a cleaner environment um, feel better about it. Um, calling the police less or maybe stratifying um, the police um, in such a way that for anything like violent crimes or murders or anything, you would call uh, police, uh, um, you'd call police officers that look very similar to the police officers we currently have, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But better trained. And then for other situations, you'd have, I guess, people who would look more like social workers in their activity. Oh, hey, got a call. You're being too loud. Um, Please turn the music down. Oh, hey, let me help you with getting this cat out of the tree or whatever. Like situations that, um, oh, my, um, we uh, found the guy. We talked him down. Here you go. Um, you know, just keep a better um, look after him for like, you know, the case of a older, um, a nonverbal like autistic man or something of that nature. There are a lot of situations that the police show up in where they escalate the situation, whereas they can actually, whereas they should actually be de-escalating it. Um, I don't think the described training um, that Philip um, described uh, goes far enough. I think the police officer should mandatorily have two years of, um, I guess you'd consider it textbook learning. So two years of like core learning about the laws, enforce, um, law enforcement, a basic standard of policing that needs to be implemented in this country, perhaps through a federal um, bureau of policing, which I'd be very much in favor for. Um, also a year learning the individualities of the communities to which they will be assigned um, and then during those summers, they have to do an internship where they do beats of like, I don't know, in the communities that they're going to end up in, just learning the people's names, learning who's in the community and everything like that. Because community-centered policing have actually been shown to be very positive, um, to have very positive effects to lead to um lower rates of arrest and a reduction in crime because the people actually trust the cops instead of seeing them as adversaries. And the cops are looking at the people as individuals to actually protect and help through their problem instead of looking at them as prey or in an us versus them mentality. 
Yeah, and, and I wanted to just after the, real mm-hmm. quickly, I say real quick. I just wanted to jump in um, and uh, talk about something that you said before, with the uh, in regards to the Edwin Raymond NYPD officer thing. Is that okay? Did you have mm-hmm. like were you? Um, so I just wanted to say like my personal opinion on it. I think it's pretty noble. Like I think this show. I think this shows what a lot of people would would claim as, you know, the good cops, essentially, right? Like, you have um, a guy who was uh, oppressed and, like, his his parents were caught in the prison industrial complex, uh, something that far too many Black Americans uh, can relate to, including myself. And it's just like, you know, instead of letting himself get trapped in that he decided to try to be part of the solution so i guess my question to you guys is like um you know now that he actually had to testify in court like what do you guys think about more police officers doing that because like one argument that you hear a lot is like oh like it's not it's not police as a whole it's just a few bad apples right and it's just like okay this shows that it's possible for you to be a quote unquote good apple and expose the bad apples in a very public way, in a very legal way too. So my question then becomes, if they're so good, then why aren't they doing this? Like, you know, like my thing is like, if you're, if you're good, then it shows no matter who you are. Um, so what do you guys want to say about that? Uh, Adrian? Can I, can I finish the point that I was going to make? Um, yeah, 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 sure. I just want to pose that question. That way we had another talking point. Um, so um, I think that after those two years of the um, internships and the learning of the laws and how to properly, um, how to enforce them, and obviously during this time they would be uh, doing de-escalation training and hand-to-hand combat, like you stated, I think then they should be made to do a sort of residency type situation, like um, like doctors are made to do, where they're assigned to a station and essentially they are mentored by an officer or a law enforcement officer in some particular facet. So if it's the officers who are responsible for, I don't even really like calling them officers, but like if they want to be like a traditional cop, then they go that route. If they want to be more of the, um, I don't know, beat cop who don't have guns, they go that route. If they want to be more of a mental health crisis intervention specialist, they go that route. You know, typical um, residency um, situation. And the reason I think that that's um, beneficial is because it necessarily increases the length of training. It necessarily means that they have more time to sit and mellow and actually adapt to life as a police officer so that they are honestly just better trained and better mentally equipped to deal with the rigors of the job. I also think that there needs to be regular mental health um, check-ins that are mandatory because... I mean, given the things that police officers see and given the type of um, personalities that are attracted to police officers for the ones that are attracted to power and don't get weeded out by the lengthened 
um, training time, they will very necessarily um, be weeded out if they're found to be domestic abusers or things of that nature, which is currently not the case. Many officers protect their brothers um, when they see them beating someone because they're like, oh, I do that too. Like 40% of um, police officer households. So um, I'd like to go a little deeper into completely uh, into defunding and restructuring the police, but a big part of that will be reducing the scope of police acti- um, the police responsibilities um, because necessarily it has to. So um, I guess on to the next point. Yeah, um, I'll speak on that a little bit if, 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 if nobody else has anything to say. Um, I agree. I think defunding the police is, is not a bad idea because it focuses on investing in the community as a whole. And um, what I like about that idea is the fact that, you know, now instead of 13 or all these billions of dollars going to, going towards uh, the police, these, this money is going towards school or education or, wait, that's the same thing. <laughs> this is going towards, uh, going towards school or like um, these after school programs or just like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, going towards school, going towards the actual housing uh, situation, going towards the uh, betterment of the overall community, going towards like services such as like food stamps and other places where people need services to better their daily lives as well as um, ways to improve their future. Yeah. Um, I think that for me personally, like I was fortunate enough to grow up in the Midwest and like in in central Missouri in a small town. Like we had we had one high school. I mean, no, we had one mall, three middle schools, two high schools, but a third one got built during my eighth grade year. But anyway, just a picture of a very small town really essentially is the point. And even though it was a small town, like it was a very close community and like there are a lot of programs that you know, I was a part of like the Boys and Girls Club or like, um, you know, this, the safety patrol at my school. It's just like, I mean, uh, during middle school, it's like all this stuff I was a part of. So like, I learned how to fold a flag. I, I learned how to respect the flag. I learned how to, you know, I learned why we fly this flag at half staff sometimes. Like all this stuff I was learning in like sixth grade because I was part of the safety patrol, you know, which basically just kept, it was basically a student, basically student police where like we just got a colorful vest and we were responsible for making sure everybody stayed safe. Yeah. It's like, it's like they would get to school earlier. They would stay school late. And, you know, like part of that, like my job, as long as I can remember was the flag. Like I was a flag person. I would put the flag up in the morning, take it down at night. I mean, in, in the afternoon. And so I had learned how to fold, I learned how to fold the flag. And with that, I had a newfound respect for the flag itself. Uh, which I think is something that's important. So, but to, to Mervyn's point about defunding the police, I do agree that it's not, that it is, it, it is necessary. I think that the system, personally, the way I like to fix things is I like to like break break everything then, and then rebuild it. Like for example, like when I clean my room, I I dirty it more before I start cleaning it. 
just because it's just like I need to clear out my desk space. So I just take everything off my desk and then it's on the floor and then I just slowly start putting things back on my desk in the in the in like in the right way. That's how I do things. But like, you know, you can hear I tend to do that too. I tend to do that too. So like what I find helps with that is it's like, you know, once you clear out the desk, it's like, okay, now I have a blank space to work with. What needs to be on my desk? Okay, boom. First thing, computer. Okay, boom. With the computer that's chargers, mouses, headset. All right, now what? A notebook and it's just like you start to you 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 start to declutter your desk and it's a very easy way to do so i feel like also very thing, common yeah exactly and i feel like the same thing is happening with the police right like you know of course we need police but at the same time it's just like okay what if we treated police more like ras in colleges like if you're if if you're an ra in college you stay in the dorm you 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 live on the floor you you are responsible for that floor like um during our round table yesterday, it was brought up that, like, on average across the country, like, there's about 20 police officers per 10,000 people. And, like, that's a, that's a lot of people to, to, to manage. That's about, like, what, like, five, like, 2,000, like, 200 people to manage for, per person or something like that. I don't know. I, I can't do math. Was it, you said um, 20 police officers per 10,000? 10, yeah. All right. So that's two per 100, which is, or, yeah. No, two per thousand, which is one, which per, is one per 500. Yeah. So imagine being, but like, I don't know. Cause like, as like, that sounds like a big task, but like, if we go back to Mervyn's point and your point, if we just like, okay, like, yeah, that's a big task, but it's like that police officer is responsible for those 500 people, but they're only responsible for those 500 people that commit violent crimes. Like, um, Alexandra, uh, OC. Your protest. Thank you. Uh, she had a very good point uh, when she was she she was responding to a thing uh, somebody on Twitter who asked what does defunding the police look like, and she was probably like you know like actually like it's not that hard to even imagine if you look at white suburbs like um, a lot of a lot of the white suburban people that end up uh, getting into trouble as a teen and preteen. Um, what's different about the white community, the white suburban communities than the black ghetto communities is that um, in the white communities, they try to, they, they focus more on reform. They're like, okay, yeah, you messed up, but like, how can we help you? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. So yeah, the, it was on Instagram, but the question was, what does an America with the funded police look like to you? And AOC responded, and I quote, the good news is that it actually doesn't take a ton of imagination. It, it looks like a suburb. Affluent white communities already live in a world where they choose to fund youth, health, housing, etc., more than they fund police. These communities have lower crime rates, not because they have more police, but because they have more resources to support a healthy society in a way that reduces crime. When a teenager and preteen does something harmful in a suburb, I say, pre, I say teen because it's often where lifelong carceral cycles begin for black and brown communities. White communities bend over backwards to find alternative, alternatives to incarceration for their loved ones to, quote, protect their future, end quote, like community service, rehab, or restorative measures. Why don't we treat black and brown people the same way? And then she goes on, but I think that that's like, uh, I, I think that highlights the point perfectly. You know, instead of trying to lock up black and brown youth, why don't you try to reform them? It's kind of just like when you get in trouble in school, 
like it's not immediately it's not an immediate expulsion from school it's like you know from my school it was like you had the safe seat where like you weren't allowed to talk and you've talked in the safe seat you had to go to a buddy room and then you, which meant that you had to go to safe seat in a different classroom then if you talked in that safe seat then you got sent to the office and then you got sent to the office and you had to have a parent teacher conference the way it was for me in school was depending on the gravity of what you did. Um, so you had, you obviously had like canceling a recess if you did something really minor. You had, you had, um, you had like, uh, you'd get sent to the principal's office if it was something like a little more major. Um, we also had like detention, suspension, expulsion, right? Detention, nobody really viewed as like a super serious thing, but it was like sad. Basically, like, like what is it? Like the last 15 minutes or like 30 minutes of class. If you got in trouble, and like it was like the, like it was something like bad enough. Like I know that someone got t- detention basically for sp- spilling ketchup on the ceiling because they exploded like a ketchup packet. They got detention for that. Um, they're like, oh, I don't want detention. That that stuff sucks because like waiting thirty minutes and watching everyone else leave is like not fun. And like if you have to take a bus, like and you your parents have to pick you up, then you're just like awkwardly like ah. Like I, I, I see that I'm like, nah, you don't want to do that, do you? <laughs> so like, there's ways to do it. Like you don't, yeah, there, I agree. Like you don't get instantly expelled. So why don't we have a similar system where like, oh, if if you're in trouble with, if you do something bad, like it, depending on the degree of the situation, we obviously have policing for that. So like, obviously murder, you're going to jail because you messed up. But and that's like a that's like a very great problem. But like. Only thieving and looting, um, and you shouldn't. I don't know if you should go to jail for that. Depend, obviously, depending on how much you thieve and loot. Like, if you stole from like like millions and millions of dollars from a bank, you're at, you're probably going to jail. But like, in terms of like, let's say you stole a couple items from a store. Um, in that case, um, well, I think would probably be a better solution than sending them straight to jail. Would be having them either work directly for the company that they stole from with like a, a person on guard. Um, but like basically have them tr- have them work and realize what business they're affecting the community that they're affecting, especially if it's like a local business that they tried to steal from that makes it even worse, which but most people who steal from lo- won't steal from a local business. Cause like they'll know the person that like people care about local businesses, but they usually steal from larger businesses, but they also need to really realize that larger businesses also are owned by people and also controlled by people and affects their lives too. So by having them work with the people there, they understand the situation also um for the time that they're working there they they should get paid because you know they're working there so it will give them an incentive to be like hey we messed up we're learning how not to mess up and we're also getting the opportunity to work here and obviously if they have a good enough work ethic and the people who they were working for if they realize hey this person messed up because they were in a stressful situation but we'll hire them now because we can clearly see that they're willing to work for the company it gives them an opportunity and out to basically bring themselves out of the situation they were in before. I just want to state for like the past 20 minutes, my phone screen has been off and I've been replying to everything you guys said and my microphone was off and I just realized it's great. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that was, uh, I just, I just want to give myself a round of applause for that one. Hats off to you. Well, Yo, because I, I like I'm like replying and then I kept getting cut off and I'm like, can do like wait your turn. I'm trying to say something. Yeah, I, my I phone mean, my microphone was just off this entire time. I think it's only fair that we turn the floor over to you. Yeah, so, yeah. If you want to say something, go for it. Um, 
I don't know. I kind of want to shift to a different topic and just kind of go on my tangent on that. Is that okay? Yeah. So uh, I, there's actually a different topic that I wanted to touch on. So I think we got our first, like as a pod, like as a podcast, I think we got our first like semi-controversial comment. Like I don't want to bring too much light to it because it's not that deep, but it's like also I posted um, uh, the uh, Juneteenth uh, Freedom Week thing. So Tuesday we're going to have a live stream to uh, highlight the stories of Black uh, Black LGBT. Tuesday, which is all about Black, queer, and trans love, visibility, activism, more. Um, but we're going to have another live stream on that day, basically just have any anybody, not just Black community, but also uh, the members of the LGBT community who want to share their stories. But somebody commented on that post and said, quote, it's crazy Trump passed a bill that helped Black Americans more than any president in history called the First Step Act. And the First Step Act is an... It, is basically a act a bill that Trump signed in December that would uh that would shorten some of the sentences that prisoners are currently serving and it would reduce it would get rid of uh mandatory minimums for prison sentences which is great um but I replied to him you know like while it's great that he signed this into law the rest of Trump's presidency has proven him not to be an ally to the to Black Americans. So I just want to get you guys' opinion on that scenario. Anyone who ever thought he was an ally to Black Americans is either sorely misguided or an idiot. Yeah, honestly, so I said it before when we did the roundtable. No, 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 just listen for a second. I said it before when we did the roundtable. I hate the fact that with all of this going on, there hasn't been a single, not a comment, not a post, not anything coming from our president in any sense of compassion all you know at the end of the day he's the president he's and we all know we all obviously know at this point he's not gonna do what everybody wants he's going to say the most asshole thing he can come up with the looting starts the shooting starts all we've seen from him so far is just him say well people are getting out of line i'm gonna put him back in line rather than him doing anything compassionate giving those who you know i'm just asking for nothing more than it will get better at best that's all i want but all we've gotten so far is nothing even close to compassion all we've got from him is just him say look if if the state can't or if the city can't get their people under control i'm gonna get them under control and that really sucks because at the end of the day you know, when you've got these people who feel misguided and they don't know who to turn to, they, at the end of the day, should always feel that they can turn to the person running their country. And at this moment, we haven't gotten that. And it's disgusting to me. I know I, um, when I said what I said just now, that I stand by, that it might be a controversial, you know, that, that it might be a controversial position to take but it's a factual one there is not a hint of evidence that has ever shown donald trump to be a friend to the black community and i don't like that was true before he got into power and i don't know why anyone thinks that that would have changed once he got into power in fact once the looting starts the shooting starts that 
is a quote from I think with the um Birmingham um no no with the Alabama um police commissioner talking about the civil rights movement. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about rights movement protesters. Um and then that comment was echoed by the governor of Alabama who was a known segregationist. One of his famous quotes is segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Um, that is the mentality that Donald J. Trump invoked when he said those words. You go online, go on Facebook, go to a Trump supporter, you know, maybe like six out of ten of them are talking about being ready to shoot protesters because that's what he's doing. He sent out an email recruiting people to the quote-unquote Trump army. He's holding his first, he's holding his first campaign rally since the breakout of COVID-19. On Juneteenth, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the site of one of the worst massacres of Black Americans in this country's history. And that happened because those Black people had the audacity, the unmitigated goal to build up generational wealth. That is the person we have for president. That is a person who is currently leading this country. Trump has been, has always been, and will continue to be a bigot in every conceivable fashion. That was a hard beat. Oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> also, I mean, I never so. I hate to admit this, but I never saw the when uh when they see us. Uh it wasn't any there was no reason behind it, it was just one of those, you know, I just never watched it. But uh so for anyone who has seen it, can you guys fill me in? Somebody told me Trump somehow was involved in that. I got you. Let me tell you about this man, Donald J. Trump. So when they see us, for those who don't know, is a multi part documentary on Netflix that released last year about the Central Park Five. Basically what happened is there was a group of black kids who were known to hang around in this park just for funsies. Uh, this one night just so happened, the white woman was jogging. She got raped in Central Park by a completely different man. She said it was a black man. Police got there. They saw a bunch of kids. They assumed it was a kid because it was like, they, they literally just happened to be there at the wrong place, kind of wrong place, wrong time. And then everybody started running. Five of the kids got caught, essentially, and they were basically thrown into police interrogation rooms, were not allowed to talk to their parents. All these all these kids are minors, they like maybe twelve at the at like at the like the oldest. Um all these kids were like, you know, like what girl, like like basically the cops had already made them guilty before they even got into the interrogation room. So the cops goal was to make them admit that Admit what they did, and by doing that, they basically just borderline, uh, borderline, uh, borderline treated them like terrorists. They 
did everything short of waterboarding them. They fit, they uh, took him to a back room and beat him up and told him that the only way that he was getting out of there if, was if he listened to them. They lied to them and started saying that uh, the other boys had said that he did it, so he should probably tell them what happened. They all basically made up a story, and you know, uh, in some cases, the parents found out about it and were able to come and like and protect them and loyal up. In other cases, they weren't. But throughout this whole thing, Donald J. Trump took out a big ass ad in the newspaper, and he was like, and he was calling for the death penalty of the of all five kids involved in this rape case. But it's just like these kids hadn't these kids hadn't even been charged with anything because there wasn't enough evidence to charge them with rape or assault. And so basically, Donald J. Trump was calling for the assassination of five young black kids on the presumption on the presumption of guilt just because one white lady like it it rang it was very scary how loudly it reminded it rang of Emmett Till like uh you know it's kind of scary to think like and you know like all throughout this time like like all, like all throughout the documentary like you're seeing like all the parents of the parents of the Central Park Five terrified. Like they're calling, they're calling everybody, they're calling hospitals, they're calling neighbors, they're calling, you know, friends. And it's just like when they finally figure out where they are, it's just like, bro, it's it's heartbreaking to see because they just because they see their their they see their son and like their son is face is is visibly beat up, and there's like what happened and like the son is literally behind the officer that has. Beat, had been beating on him and he's just like oh I fell at the park so one um, thing that I also wanted to bring up is the very pertinent fact that the woman did not say that it was a black man or a group of teenagers that raped her when she was raped she was also beaten nearly to death the cops told her that a group of black teenagers had raped her. Oh, my bad. Okay. Wow. Granted, she believed them, and to this day she believes them because of how kind they were to her. But even though there is no evidence and the person who apparently actually raped her confessed to it and has already been behind bars for, like, another... um, crime he committed and the only reason we know that is because he felt guilty for what was happening to the kids for what he did now how much you want to believe um, that this guy actually did that entirely up to you Um, without a new investigation I'm not sure how well we'd be able to prove it I mean, there's no way to prove the investigation at this point. Um, so I want to just point out, uh, there's a the role of Donald Trump in the Central Park Five Dollar case. Uh, I'm just going to read this excerpt really, really quickly for our listeners. Um, New York in the 80s and 90s was much more dangerous than it is today. Race relations were strained, especially when it came to the police. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, then a New York property mogul, seemed convinced the teens were guilty. He spent a reported on four full-page advertisements in New York newspapers titled, Bring Back the Death Penalty, Bring Back Our Police. He wrote, and I quote, 
I want to hate these murderers and I always will. I am not looking to psychoanalyze or understand them. I am looking to punish them. He said, maybe hate is what we need if we're going to get something done, which is very interesting. I'm going to quote that and bring that back to current events. But anyway, um, that was his role in it, Adrian, to answer your question. All right. Wow, that was a, a lot of information to take in. Um, I know for me, I want to... God just, damn! It's, like, God damn. It's crazy. It's, that's what it's like to be Black in America, honestly. It's the sad truth. Yes, I mean, it's hard enough to... Uh, when it comes to sensitive issues like rape to be a man, you know, from personal experiences, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't really talk about it, but I'll open up with you guys for it. Um, I've had experience not once, but twice in which a female had, uh, lied and said I had sexually assaulted her and later had taken that statement back and said that she had lied, lied. Uh, but being a guy and having that happen to you is really hard because when it happens immediately, any credibility that you have is taken away. Um, you know, when it, it happened to me, uh, I'm just going to talk about one instance cause I don't really want to talk about the second one. I just want to talk about the first instance, uh, the first instance in which it happened, uh, immediate, nobody believed, um, at all. Uh, you know, I was getting phone calls and texts from a bunch of people who, at the time, I considered friends, and uh, nobody believed me at all. Uh, I was immediately painted as an asshole. There were literally group chats on Facebook that were like, fuck Adrian Rosa, like, just titled wow. that, and it was hate groups. Not hate groups, but, like, groups, in a sense, that hated me. And then, you know, once I finally was able to give my side and then the female in question had finally been like, yeah, I just made it up to fuck with him. Um, the thing that kind of hurt the most about that was uh, nobody ever said sorry. Like nobody ever was like, oh, I'm sorry. I believed her. Like nobody apologized for hating. Like people that I considered friends at the time, nobody said, you know, sorry, we believed her. Sorry, we didn't believe you. Uh, I can't believe we talked about you like that. None of that ever happened. It was just kind of like, uh, oh, she was lying? All right. And like, and then they sweep it under the rug. Yeah, just sweep it under the rug. And um, so when it comes to touchy subjects like that, one, it's already to be, it's hard to be a guy. It, it's even harder to be a minority or African-American. And I can o only imagine how hard it must have been for these boys, you know, you're 12, 13 years old and you're being, having the shit beaten out of you told if you don't confess to something you didn't do, then we're either going to like kill you or we're just, we're just going to keep beating the shit out of you until you tell us what we want to hear. We're going to paint this picture. But then to have yeah. it go as far as Donald J. Trump, who is now our president, I feel like for this information alone, we shouldn't have voted him into office. On top of all of the other bigoted shit he's done. 
Well, like how he'd been sued for not letting black people um, rent what? from him. Or yes. how he, or, or how he doesn't have black, or how he, when he he did he doesn't like his places have black employees. I think handling his money, he'd rather a Jewish person do it. How Don Cheadle confided that the reason he hates Donald Trump is because one of um his more wealthy friends confided in him that one time he and his father were golfing with Donald Trump, and Trump had the audacity to ask them if they ever had nigger pussy before. And they were like, excuse me? He's like, no. And he took that, not as disgust, but like, why would we have it? He's like, no, 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 it's good. It's, it's good. You wouldn't think so, but it's good. Wow. I didn't know that one, but God damn. He also has sexually assaulted women before. It's so like, I don't understand. Yeah, he, has, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he, has, he has many uh, sexually assaults on women and kids. You so, wanna... hey, did anyone else see the whole thing with anonymous? With anonymous yeah. anonymous how, how cops. How do you feel about that? I read those documents. Anonymous wanna... said, bitch, I got the tea, and they came prepared. What I like it the most about Gen Z is that we always come with receipts. Like, well, because you guys grew up in a world where receipts, where receipts are readily available. Honestly, and like with Anonymous, they're like, oh, you know what? Boom, here's a page of cases that Trump has settled with, which basically means like they paid somebody off not to sue him for a sexual assault. And it's like when you look at this stuff, it's like man, he, like he spent like probably like close to a billion dollars. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that no, even... no one no one that is I'm sorry, but no one that is not guilty is spending that much money covering like trying to get people to stop saying that they assaulted them like no one no one's spending that amount of money to 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 like either you have terrible lawyers or you're covering something up and then his only response to the whole situation was fake news it's an effective one his voters will believe anything they're told the, the, dude, what's crazy is that his him. like I don't know. Well, I wouldn't say that the vo- his voters would believe everything they're told because there are a large percentage of his voter base that has left. Yeah, I will say that was one thing. That was one thing I loved about that when that thing happened. People who I know in my own life who supported Trump came out and were like, "Fuck! I can't believe this is who I support. I can't believe." I supported a rapist. I can't believe, like, fully recanting any statement that they had come out with prior about how they felt about our president. And I was like, finally. It's like, even though it sucks that this is the way in which it changes somebody's view, it's ha- it, it feels good that it happened. For me personally, for me personally, I feel like um, I like this... I like to try to, to separate the person from what they're doing. So, like, for example, in music, I like to try to separate the the artist from their songs. Like, for a long time, I would never look into the artist as a person outside of the music because I was like, you know what? If I look for a scandal, I'm going to find one. And, um, like, I think, a, like, a very, like, a very big example was, like, uh, R. Kelly in, in R. Kelly in, in his music. Like, I grew up listen to R. Kelly just because like, that's what my parents had on their, you know, on their soul or on their R&B playlist. Like, that's just what we, like, that's just what they played. 
and you know like I you know like I was jamming to I was jamming to like uh to 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 some of the hits like uh uh Trapped in the Closet uh fucking um what are some other R Kelly songs Sexy Can I right yeah it's just like bro it's like you can't tell me like if that it's like to this day if that comes on it and still I'm, slaps right <laughs> and I'm just like bro like I don't know like to me personally what's different with Donald Trump is that with him it's kind of just like you can't claim that you are an ally to the black community and that by signing legislation but then you have history with the Central Park Five it's like I don't know like what I find crazy about today is like literally we're we are we're, we're witnessing history like this shit is history like no matter what no matter how anybody feels about it it's going to be written about talked about for like years to come and Facts. what's and what's what's kind of alarming is that a lot of people are on the wrong side of history already it's like you know like we like we've we've seen this movie we've seen this movie before we know this things like we know this plays out like it's going to be like it's this whole radicalized ideal what black people voting oh that's gonna cause you know what uh black and white people uh not being segregated that's gonna cause a riot that's gonna cause a total shutdown that's gonna be like all this other stuff and then it's like that happened and it's like what it's like you were just gaslighting the whole situation like with the whole I, like my thing is like with the whole defunding the police it's just like um you know like yeah it sounds crazy but like also like how like how are you mad about defunding the police but not mad about literally u.s citizens being shot at with, with their bullets like in the eye like this like what pissed me off about the police response to protesters was when the NYPD pushed a 73-year-old man to the ground. It wasn't NYPD, it was Buffalo PD. Buffalo PD, sorry. Pushed this 75-year-old man to the ground, and he hit his head on the ground and started bleeding. And all, all the officers in sight in the video just walked, just like walked over him, like as if he was nothing. And I'm just like, bro, your job is to protect and serve. I don't give, like, I don't care. I don't give a fuck if you're there for writing. I don't give a fuck if you're in an active terrorist thing. I don't give a fuck if people are shooting. If somebody falls and is bleeding, is you, you signed up as a police officer to take care of that, to preserve human life. That is your job. I don't care what's going, I, I don't, I don't care what's, like, I don't care if you're being shot at. I don't care. When you, when you put on that uniform and decide to be a cop of the community, you, do, you were like, I'm going to protect the community. How is pushing a 75 year old man to the ground and then, the cop was actually gonna keep beating on him, but his colleague stopped him. I'm just like, bro. And then Trump had the audacity to be like, "Oh, we don't know if he had, he had antivirus ties. He kind of it kind of it kind it, it kind of looked like he flopped. Uh, like he fell he fell way harder than he was pushed. It's like, bro. Like, are you a fucking physicist? Are you gonna tell me that you analyzed the pixels of the video and, and tell me tell me how far he fell? Because it's like I can do that. Like I'm like I know how to do that. I know people they probably know how to do that. So if if you really want to tell you how hard this man fell, I can do that. But at the same time, it's like what's the point? Like, if this man fell and he's bleeding, then it's like, he was pushed hard. And like, for, for, like this, for, that's the first thing. The second thing is like, bro, you talk to respect your elders. If someone pushed my grandpa or my, or my grandma, bro, like we're fighting. I don't care who you are. Like it's on site. I don't, yeah. like, I don't care for the military. I don't care for the police. I don't care for the queen. I don't care. I think the part that, uh, that I think you uh, mentioned was where like they walked over him. Um, I think that was, I'll, I'll, uh, I think that was a, 
a bit of an exaggeration, but at the same time, an under exaggeration in two different aspects. Uh, the way that it, the way that it worked was the guy pushed him, and then as he stumbled and fell, that he started he, he like he himself started to walk by him, but then two guys that were behind him like started to try to help the guy, and another police officer stopped the other two officers from trying to help the guy and just pushed them to keep going forward. Yeah, I mean, which to me yeah. shows that like that's like there are people who think that it's wrong but they don't have an active voice to say it either like they just follow their orders and then got and then got pushed and then if they tried to resist the orders they got pushed to do their orders again. here's my thing right here's my thing <laughs> like here's my like here's my personal philosophy on life that I, i've kind of come to realize after going to college like my thing is like i'm gonna be me no matter what like i'm gonna like i need to be able to sleep at night right if i if I'm in that situation and my colleague pushes a 75 year old man to the ground and he's bleeding, I don't like, I don't care what my orders are. I don't care. My, I don't care about my job. It's like, bro, I'm stopping and helping this man. I'm calling the ambulance. Like for me personally, I'm, I'm kind of like me. It's like, I would rather do what's right and be punished than follow orders and be seen as, a bastard you know yeah. like like my thing is like when you have the national guard coming out and saying i was embarrassed to have to be at the protest i was embarrassed to tell my family that i was at the protest i agree yeah and it's just like bro like <laughs> you have the national fucking guard bro and like there's videos of protesters going up going up going up to the national guard and being like hey like my beef my beef isn't with you i i love you guys thank you for protecting our, our country I like in no way are we trying to suspect you. I just want I just want you to know that. And then literally, these these military personnel responded with, "Yeah, no, we we stand with you. We stand with Black Lives. We don't like we don't like twelve either." And it's like, whoa, did this military guy just just basically say fuck twelve? It's like, wait, what? Okay, so like now like that that completely breaks down the idea of like you know, being like, uh, being like, being like a, being like a class system where everybody in law enforcement and military sit together. Like what I like about the military is that they have a very strict discipline where it's like, right is right and wrong is wrong. Right. You know, like they have a code, so to speak, where since it's like no man left behind, like if you're like, if your brother gets shot, like you don't leave him there, you go out and get him no matter what, you know what I mean? But yeah. if you're a female, if you're a female officer or enlisted, and someone sexually assaults you, and you report it, you get written up for that. Yeah, like I mean, like I think, like I mean, like I, I don't want to dive too deeply into the military just because I want to talk about that in a future episode because I've there's a bunch of stuff that uh, my friends and I, my friends have confided in me. And I just want to talk, like tell their stories, but. Like I'm like in no way am I saying that the that military is a perfect system, but like I'm saying compared to the police, I I I respect and uh, respect the military more. Like I'm like I'm a son of two veterans. Like my parents met in the military in in basic training. It's like you know like they they fought for this country, and it's just like you know like I respect it. Like for you to for. for for someone to be like, you know what, I'm going to fight for something bigger than myself, and I'm going to fight for my country. I'm going to fight to make sure 
my loved ones can stay free. And like, I don't know, like for me personally, like this is a whole nother issue, so I don't want to get too, too, too distracted, but um, I, I think that we need to treat, we need to treat our veterans better, you know? Like there's no reason why veterans should be homeless. It's like, it's like they're going to fight for our country and we're going to be, we're going to thank them by not giving them homes. Like that doesn't make any type of sense. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with that, but I, I feel like we're getting a little off topic from. Yeah, for sure. Our... Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I respect the opinion. I agree with it. Like they shouldn't be homeless, but maybe yeah. we'll want to like shift yeah, focus yeah. again. Let's go back. <laughs> Um, did 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 we want to keep talking about this? Because um, there's there's some other points that I wanted to bring up. Um, go for whatever you feel like. So I want to I do. go ahead. Adrian. I just want to make a statement. Sometimes though, I feel like it's a little bit more of a, a like when it comes to police and that whole situation. Sometimes I feel like it's more of like a a mental power trip too for some of these cases that happen. Because like, heard, huh? I said that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah, like I've 100% heard a cop say, uh, like talking about a, um, fuck, what was it? Talking about like uh, corrections officers and being like, you, you do realize like, I'm a cop, you're a servant. Like, you don't compare to me. And I was like, I, at the end of the day, like, they went through basic training, you went through basic training. Like, you know, just because you're a cop and they're not a cop doesn't, I've never understood that, like, whole, like, hierarchy system people will create in their heads. And so I feel like in a lot of these cases where you see somebody, you know, overusing their force and somebody else trying to stop them and then being like, yo, do you realize, like, where I'm at and where you're at? Like, don't don't try me. I, I, I just – I wanted to put that out there. Uh, that's a good point. I think it's a little off topic. I – there is something that, that, I, that I, I want to talk about that affects most of us in the chat. So – um. Um, so just so our listeners know, Mervin and Phil are both WPI graduates. Yes. And um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the WPI response to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. So like, I personally am disappointed with WPI because Lori Leshin, who is our president, and the WPI social medias have, have basically been silent about the Black Lives Matter protest and movement it's solely been you know uh the wpi black black alumni society or the wpi black student union or wpi national society of black engineers like and like it's crazy because all these two and uh the wpi black alumni actually signed and signed an open letter which i'll link in the description um but essentially what the open letter said was like, hey, here's some things that we feel like need to be changed at WPI. Here's some, here, here are the ways to change them. You know, here are things that need to be changed now. Here are things that need to be changed in the future. Can you address those in our meeting? And the meeting was Thursday and she did, to my knowledge, she hasn't addressed them. Uh, but she said on her, on her social media, like we, like I stand with Black Lives Matter. Like what, what bothers me most about that is that you know, she has such a big, she, she's the president of the university, right? And I was like, I think while figuring out if we're going back to campus is important, I feel like the lives of black students on campus are equally as important because what's, what BSU has been doing is they've been, they've been sharing, well, they opened up to 
the WPI community a chance to share anonymously um, some of the things that they've gone through at WPI. And we like when you read some of these stories, it's heartbreaking. It's like, bro, like you see some of this stuff, and it's like straight out of a, it's straight out of a 1900s uh, novel, where you have black students literally be calling, you know, like the N word. You have black students uh, literally be, uh, literally being told that they're only there because of us full ride sports scholarships. So I just wanted to get you guys' opinion on that, uh, Mervin and Phil and Phil. Um. Well, okay, so if I look at it pragmatically, if I look at it um, in a strictly pragmatic sense and not um, in, in terms of myself as a student wanting my personal needs met, um, I can understand the focus on um trying to keep people up to date about what's going to happen because COVID-19 has really changed the um playing field and WPI potentially stands to lose millions of dollars um as a result because if they don't open in the fall then you have students who are like well I want this amount of refund or I'll just go take my gen eds at a community college and then, you know, I'll just defer. Like, there, there, there's a lot in the business sense that she has to worry about. Um, for the school's part, um, I, I do appreciate that the uh, black, um, the black teachers at the school have decided to go out of their way to make sure that they're the dialogue for the students. I know it's not necessarily WPI official, um, but at least that's there, and at least they're listening to us um, because they intend to go back to the administration with our concerns. Um, I will agree with you, however, the response was lackluster. Um, I didn't really expect much to be honest so i'm not disappointed my thing is just to clarify like i'm not trying to discount the importance of coronavirus and that and 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 the whole pandemic i my thing is like everybody and their mom is is talking about black lives matter right now it kind of seems like covid just it disappeared which it hasn't like it's popped back up in like 16 states but that's that's another topic, but I think you know there is a coronavirus emergency response team for a reason, right? I feel like you know as a president of anything, your job is to you people look to for information and for trust, and that's not quite true. I mean, okay, so I'll put it this way: like as me, right? I look to Lord, like I, I look to her to represent what the school stands for, right? Like I look to her to make make the official statements about like what the school is doing for this, that, and the other, right? So I feel like as such, as a person that's the main media outlet for the school, as a person that's you know the face of the API, so to speak, in some regard, I feel like it's just just as much as her responsibility to make a statement saying that she stands with us, saying saying that she's going to listen to us, saying that you know she's heard us, here's and she's doing this, 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 and this. So here's the thing, Ralph. 
the majority of her um the majority of her responsibility is to make sure that the endowments and everything of that nature continue to come in. Like that, make sure that's that, the majority like, of her responsibility. To like make, make sure, sure the school it, continues to get money. Because at the end of the day the school is still a business. I mean So okay. at the end of the so while I do agree it would have been preferable and much better to for us, um the board isn't going to want her to do anything that could affect national grants that we could get from the government or, or or partners in industry, the defense contractors, anything like that. Those um associations that have been built up. Um also because WPI is a privatized institution, it makes it a lot harder because if she was already re- or if that school was automatically receiving government funding uh, to continue running, it would might be a little easier if whatever the government says, then she would probably say whatever the government wants her to say. In this case, she does have the liberty to talk out, but at the risk of losing a lot more financial because since all of her finan- all of her finances are mainly coming from go from some government grants, but mainly from the students and the people going there. She can't afford to anger students, and she also needs to come up with a solid, concrete plan for getting students back to school. I, so in response to that, like, I'm going to just tie it back to my personal philosophy. Like, I see the point and see the value in being careful with what you say so that so that you're not to lose any investors or lose any people like that. Like, I, I understand it. In the sense that, like, I know that it's a thing. I I acknowledge that it exists. How, however, comma, as I said before, like, me personally, like, you know, like, in, like, I can't, you know, speak. It's especially for my position, but you know, having held leadership positions before, where I had multiple responsibilities to, you know, make sure the club, the club or organization that I was leading had money or this, that, the other. Like, when money is involved, it's a, it's a different ball game. I like all. I'll concede to that, but what I won't, what's frustrating to me, right, is that you have, you love so much to claim that, oh, WPI is diverse, WPI is this, WPI is is very inclusive, all this other stuff, right? But my thing is, I personally believe in actions more, actions and words, right? Like, words are powerful, but actions are more powerful in some ways. So, to me, when alumni from 1965 all the way to 2020 from your school that you're currently president at, 30 years, three generations of people collaborated on a full letter. With 30, diff- 30 years? Yeah, they had people... 1965? Wait, 1975 to now? Na- wait, what? 1965 to 2020. So not- That's 50. That's 50 years. Fifty years. I didn't sleep. Okay, we know this. Why are you trying to? Why are you trying to nitpick? Anyway, because dude, you just said I'm like forty something years old. <laughs> okay, <laughs> half a century of alumni of of black alumni got together and wrote this letter discussing what they believe should be changed at the API, and like a, a lot of stuff is very easily implemented. Like, um, just taking a look at a, a, a quick glance at some of them, it was just like you know, offer more scholarships for uh people of color um hold on, let me look let me look at so i'm not misquoting uh 
improve transparency on campus statistics, list, list data on the demographics of incoming and graduating students, information on the retention of students specifically by demographics, breakdown of minority groups that make up both faculty and staff, including presences uh, that illustrate better insights along with raw data, mandatory anti-racism, anti-tolerance training to the DEPAC community, diversity statement integrated into DEPAC handbook and curriculum, you know, like all this stuff, like all these things, you know. Uh, Only the last two that you mentioned are realistically easy to do. I um, mean, an anti-racism curriculum would take like a lot of work. I'm not saying that these are bad. Um, some of those were my suggestions. Yeah, exactly. Like my point being is that, um, I'm not saying it's like changes are like cha like. There's a there's a saying that I like, and it's like you know anything that's worth doing is going to be hard, you know? Right. And so, especially when, especially when you're dealing with change, because, you know, as humans, we're very habitual creatures. We don't like change. And I acknowledge that. I accept that. I expect that. Whatever, whatever, whatever. However, comma, when you have a list of demands that, like, not demands, even more so requests, where it's like, it's not even anything that big. It's like, okay, you know, why don't you just make some make some more information available? Why don't you just make this make this make the statistics available about you know how like what percentage of, of the community is black? What percentage of the community is you know all these like just a breakdown of everything, like so that we can physically see you know what percentage of the students that are going to these Amazon, Google jobs are black? What what percentage are white? What percentage are you know? Uh, whatever the case may be, like, I feel like having a breakdown by minority would help me personally. Like, if I had that breakdown of, okay, 2% of the graduates from WPI, um, you know, get a job at uh, a company that is, that makes over, you know, I don't know, a million dollars a year, right? Ralph, can I interrupt you really quickly? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think... At the end of the day, um, I think at the end of the day that probably the strongest thing that the school can probably do is put more money into multicultural funding and have an officially recognized Black alumni organization on campus the same way that they have um, a Greek alumni council. Don't they have the National Society of Black Engineers, though? That is a student organization. Okay. Well, like, for example, I'm a Crow. We have Alpha Cairo, but we also had, like, the, what is it, 10? 10, 10 to, yeah, I think it's like 10 other um, fraternities. And um, we still have the alumni, the Greek alumni council. Yeah, I know we do. And they was... are very influential on campus, and they stand up for um, the uh, Greek student life for the administration. Without them, fraternities pro and sororities probably would have been disbanded a long time ago. We need something like that for Black students on campus. You get something like that for Black students on campus, and you likely get everything that we see in that letter. So like a black, so like the Black Alumni Society, or like what do you mean? I guess Black Alumni Society Council, whatever the hell you want to call it, we need it. 
Um, did, did anybody else want to speak before I reply? reply? Um, I've been doing it piecemeal. My, so, like, my thing is, like, so here's what pisses me off, right? Um, when COVID hit, um, right, and, like, I know, like, I'm going to compare, like, two very things, but just bear with me for a second. When COVID hit and they shut down school, the coronavirus emergency response team was created, what, like, maybe, like, a week after the whole shutdown, right? Right. My thing is, like, I agree. Those things would be great. Um, my, my question is, why hasn't it been why, – why is it taking so long? My thing was, like, I feel like so many times as a, as a minority in this country, whenever we have demands such as this, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then it's like it just gets ignored or, like, not addressed. Yeah, so follow through. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, it's like some of the faculty were saying, you know, we can't, we can't ease up on the conversation. We can't let the conversation shift from Black Lives Matter to any – anything else because all like far too many times in the past has shifted you know whether that be with all lives matter whether that be with you know gay lives matter whether that be with like oh like you're not the only people who are in the country who discriminate against like oh like you know like it's not only black people who are being killed out of the hands of police it's like yeah we know like i just want to make this clear it's like i'm not trying to talk anybody but it's just like when you say to a black person who's venting to you and, and opening up to you for example if you come to me in you you ask me how I'm feeling. Like if you if if you ask me how I'm feeling the last week, I'd probably tell you I'm tired. And if you care to elaborate on that, like I'll just be like, I'm 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 tired of this system that I'm living in. I'm tired of living in a system that doesn't treat me as a human. I'm tired of living in this system where if I have a black daughter and a black son, st- statistically one of us in the family are going to end up in prison. You know, like I don't like that. Like, that's not something, like, I'm not, like, I'm not sure with that. So for people to say, oh, well, like, yeah, like, Black people's, like, Black people aren't the only people who are oppressed in this country. Like, yeah, I, I know that. Like, I, like, I, the, what's, what's funny is that I think that Black people know American history the most. Like, I would, like, I would argue, like, Black people have, like, one of the strongest grasp on American history and on American politics because we have to, you know, like, like I, I'm pretty sure all of us in here have had the talk, and like I'm not talking about the sex talk. I'm talking about the talk of like, what do you do if you and if if you if you interact with the police officer? Like my talk was right after the right after Trayvon Martin. I was like, ten, between ten and twelve years old. It was a big shock to me. I was like, wow, like he killed him, and he's and he and he's walking. Like what? Like my thing is just like we have to get back to a core set of values that we hold as a country. I feel like right now we're too scared to offend people, too scared to claim a set, a set, a set, a set value, a set moral system. And I think because we don't have a clear, you know, moral, you know, compass, it's hard for people to, for policymakers to make decisions on race or, or on these different things. What do you guys think? So I, I agree that we need uh, clearer policies. I mean, clear, uh, clear. Was it clear? Like clear guidelines to like show that everyone's treated equally. One thing that we, one such one problem that I think we have with like our current uh, like overall system is a lot of it 
like a lot of systems have 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 like racist history in them. Like when we're going back to like policing and police brutality, the police system was created. uh, wasn't actually police system back then. It wasn't there for the betterment of the country. It wasn't. It only changed after, after like slavery, and even then, it still wasn't perfect. It was still very racist. Um, the what police what policing was back when slavery existed was it was a bunch of vigilante groups that went that went around make, uh, rounding up slaves that escaped from the from escaped from the. Uh, farms and homeowners, and then sent them back to where wherever they were supposed to be, wherever they were supposed to be. And overall, like when you when you see like the, that history, like you can see how that would influence the current, like the current era, even even five hundred years later. Like while obviously now it's not geared now now it's more trying to be geared trying to be geared towards helping the overall community and we're trying to paint in the limelight that everyone is uh that everyone's equal and that we're we're all doing this for safety and protection um having that having that in the background i mean like is this was this really here for our benefit for like everyone's benefit or was this just here for like a select group of people's benefit and then trying to figure out a way to make it so that way that prior view and that prior understanding doesn't influence our current situation um, because it kind of feels like it has, especially with, as you mentioned before, uh, why is it that whenever a black person gets stopped by the cops, they have to fear for their life while a white person is just like, oh man, I got stopped. I'm going to have to pay an annoying ticket. Like, why can't everyone just be like, hey, I'm I'm getting a ticket and it's going to suck, but I just have to pay it off. I'm not going to like, get pulled out of my car for no reason or I'm not gonna or the police is gonna come up to me aggressively and like be like and like we make someone be like worried that I have like drugs in the car or something like that. So directly to what you were saying, Ralph, um a couple of things. Um so I stand firm saying that the school simply needs to officially recognize a black alumni council or something of that nature. Um, I really want to stress that point simply because what you're complaining about is a lack of follow through. What you're complaining about is a lack of representation on campus. And I agree with you on those things. You even mentioned it yourself in another um, talk that the school is incredibly forward facing when it comes to LGBTQ issues. Um, like you're, um, if you're working at a desk for the school, you're not like allowed to assume someone's gender or something like that. It tells me that these are very doable things that the school is open to doing, um, but they need they need someone to like guidance or push, push it forward, you know. The um, and yeah. we need a lot of faculty support. I I feel like 
when you're looking at an institution that wants your money and is going to do whatever they can to keep your money because your money is how they stay in business, they are going to go, they're going to bend over backwards trying to make sure that you're happy and you have to take advantage of that. WPI wants our money. Make that contingent upon representation of your issues. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a, so that's an um, important um, thing to consider. Um, I, 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 I do like if this like if this is something that you feel you really need to um, that you feel like you really need to have in order to be able to comfortably um, go to WPI, I think it's something that you need to push for. Um, Personally, I'm annoyed. If I'm annoyed at anything, I'm annoyed at the fact that we don't have such a council in place yet. That is what annoys me, that we have a Greek council in place. I think there might even be one for LGBT um, students, but we don't have one for um, Black alumni. And there are a decent number of issues that come up being a Black person at a WPI that I think, you know, I, I honestly think that such a council is long overdue. It's long overdue and it's sorely needed, especially right now, because honestly, WPI can respond to the coronavirus. They can't really respond to a cop shooting a black person unless it's one of their cops. It's nothing that they can personally do except maybe say Black Lives Matter. And sure, it would be nice for them to say that, but if they just say it and go about their day, like you said, talk is cheap. So I'd much rather see them, you know, actually enact that council so that we have a voice in the administration, specifically speaking to Black issues. No, I agree. I have to say on that. Um, I definitely am willing to fight for it in the sense that just like, now that I know that I have five to seven faculty members that I can, you know, count on, like I have Professor Sherry, Professor Weeks, Professor, you know, all the people that were in that meeting. I'm yeah. not gonna, um, um, I think knowing that they're there to back me up and knowing that they're just as, they are just as pissed as, as we are. And they, they, they literally said in the meeting, like, you know, like we're here to support you. So like, that's another like motivation for me to, to keep this in discussion, to keep, you know, posting about the social, my social media, to keep having these conversations on my podcast. Cause it's just like, for me, this is how, this is the way I know how to fight for change. I know personally, like I know for the people, for the hundred people that see my story every day, for the, for the, for the 60 people that see my Instagram story every day, like I know no matter what, they're, they're not going to look, they're not going to look at my story without saying something about Black Lives Matter. And it's like, if they don't want to see that, then they can unfollow me. And I'm fine. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. But like, you know, like if you're going to click on my story, this, this is what you're going to see. And, you know, like it's not just going to be Black Lives Matter. It's going to be like, hey, 
I'm calling you out. Here's some things you can do. Call it, you right now can call this number and help. You can lobby these council, these councilwomen and, and councilmen for help. Like, I know you're not doing anything. Like, but it's like, it's like, just stuff like that, you know? Um, but to your point about, you know, demanding change, I, I fully, I fully agree with you. Oh my God. I just realized I was muted. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I wasn't the only one that did it. <laughs> uh, you guys need to pay attention, my guys. But like I was saying, um, I definitely agree with the fact that like, you know, like I think what's, I think what people don't realize is that black you know, black taxpayers are a very large demographic in the sense that if we were able to schedule and like, you know, uh, Martin Luther King said this at the end of his life, which, you know, some people, some, some, some believe is why he died, but he basically, he basically suggested stop supporting white owned businesses and only support black owned businesses, you know? So it's just like, you you're, you're, you're no longer going to the Walmarts, the Targets, the Victoria's Secrets. You're going to Sally down the street that has a corner store that has all the stuff you need. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, no, I, I still support that. I still support, you know, supporting black businesses uh, as opposed to white businesses. Cause it's like, if you keep supporting white businesses, they're going to stay, they're going to stay the majority. And Wait, I have a like, qu- go ahead. Sorry, question on, um, on what the professor said, what did they say specifically? Like, did, did they say anything that you, you, we didn't mention or like? Yeah, so I'm going to butcher this and Mervin, feel free to step in if I'm wrong. But essentially they were like, you know, as black faculty members, there's only about, there's a very limited number of us in each department about maybe like, like less than 10. And as such, we feel that it's important to hear the voices of the students and address their concerns as black faculty. We feel like that's our responsibility. So that meeting was on Thursday. It was like a two and a half hour meeting where it was just literally, uh, I think it was about 15 people, uh, maybe 20. It was like five professors and then the rest were just students who were just, who was basically like, okay, here's the, we're here to talk about race and how you guys are feeling. We're here to listen. And then, you know, people started off shy, but then as time progressed, it progressively got into a conversation like, yeah, like, do you feel comfortable at WPI? And like, honestly, it was like, no. And then, you know, some of the, some of the professors, uh, they started to open up and then some of the other students started to open up about their personal stories. Like, hey, like, what do you do if you're going to a company in, you know, like, uh, and like uh in Georgia and you know like the company is like in Georgia is like that's where Mount Arbery was was shot and killed and yeah. so I was just like um that's basically what that was about so it was a very positive uh meeting um the black faculty member that um WPI at least the ones who were at the call um they hear us um they feel it too um because even some of their faculty that and like at least in the humanities department, teaching about issues that involve black people aren't even knowledgeable enough um in that sense. Like they're teaching things that are um are part are pertinent to black history, but they don't have that knowledge. And um 
they don't necessarily notice how their um how their own biases play into just their standard day-to-day working with others. Um, so it's not just the students who have, it's not just like the white or like the non-minority students who don't, who have like a lackluster understanding of the racial complexities in this country. It's also, it's also the faculty. Um, whether they're, I, I, I've seen many faculty members try to be very careful about that thing. Um, but from my, uh, from hearing other students speak, I've been very fortunate from hearing other students speak. There are some students that aren't quite as, and then there's also the issue with how WPI police operate, um, because they do have a history of harassing black students and more really um, minority students, but especially black students, um, which surprise, surprise, they're, uh, they're a full-on police force. Like, they can arrest you. Like they carry um, HK 40, what is it, 47, I think it is. Yes. I was like a freshman when I asked. But they're fully armed. They have a bomb sniffing dog, like everything. Like a lot of people are like, oh, look at the puppy. I was like, why do we need a bomb sniffing dog? That's, I don't know. There's literally not really a reason. But I mean, well, the, the reason is, you know, in case of a bomb threat at the school, but like, do you really need it on campus daily? Yeah, like for me, it was more of like people were like, oh, that's cool and blah, 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 and safety. And I'm like, why is a why are they becoming more and more like street cops is kind of like the feeling I had. I don't know. I guess it's like a black person's perspective of seeing the police upgrade their arsenal or rather their set of tools. Okay. Alright, um was there anything else that anybody want to talk about? Like I know we talked about it a lot. Um, we 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 did talk about a lot. Uh, I guess I just wanted to open it to anybody who wanted to say any last minute thoughts or before I wrap up into go into the closing. Okay, I guess I mean like I don't really have anything major to say, but like we 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 talk about wanting to change things and we talk about wanting to like we talk about these protests, right? We talk about like how what some of the things that we want to see not exist. I, I guess what, what we want to do is while we talk about these things, what can, what can we do actively to help change and what do we want to change or what, what do we want to see as major changes in like all forces, whether it be education, the police division, et cetera, basically for black lives to improve. So that way people who see and hear this podcast, know like some of the things that we are fighting for some of the things that we agree with and maybe if there's things that we disagree with that the black Lives matters movement doing that we don't agree with as much or we think isn't as isn't the main focus of the black lives matter movement what 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 do we want to focus on and what do we want actually seen as like change and improvement i guess we can each go around and say our personal experiences so mervin adrian do you guys want to go or do you want me to go first Uh, even phil 
like I said, I've said in the past, I'm working on a document for um, police reform in this country, basically an itemized list of what I think needs to happen. Um, if anyone wants to take a look at it, please let me know. I'm happy to disseminate the uh, information because I want to get this to as many people as possible. I'm pretty sure I can get it in front of a U.S. state representative. Hopefully it can kind of take on a life of its own from there. Um, but I think we need something major in this country. I'm looking around. Things are going back to quote unquote normal and I hate it because we had so much momentum and I feel like it's getting to the point where the only way that there will be a tipping point, that there will be long lasting change is for someone to actually start getting violent. And I don't want that because I'm not so cavalier with the lives of my countrymen. Um, I I mean, screw the races. I don't give a damn about them, but it's not like it would be casualties on just one side. And the side that there would be the most casualties on, I mean, the side that we'd be fighting against are the side with the majority of the guns. So, I mean, it feels really hopeless in some ways um, because even after everything, after everything, people are just going back to their daily lives like the last couple of weeks didn't happen and I know people are exhausted and tired and it's hard to keep up the energy but we cannot afford to let that energy go, especially with the election that's coming up, especially with everything that's at stake, like Supreme Court um, appointment, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not going to hang on for much longer. She just isn't. And whoever replaces her will likely be in the Supreme Court for decades. You're talking about your kids' kids the next time we're able to balance out the Supreme Court. So if you have a Supreme Court that's extremely red and appointed by a guy who, who's just a massive racist, xenophobe, transphobe, homophobe, and you're like, you name something, he's that. When he's making the appointments, and those appointments are going to be in until at least your grand, like, it is worrisome. It is very, very troubling to see. Adrian or Phil? Um, all I've got to say, uh, you know, I completely agree. I, as a way to start doing my part, you know, I'm young. I definitely want to start participating in local elections a lot more. I mean, what's the last time you went to a, like, a local election for anything me personally i haven't done it like and that's my fault that's my bad and so i definitely want to do that and i definitely want to spread that message to more young people because that that's that's you know the first thing we can do to create big impact is voting i know sometimes it feels like uh you know the sky is falling but i definitely want to you know somehow put power back into our hands a little bit which it should be anyways. 
And uh, I definitely want to just continue this podcast. And I definitely want to thank you, Mervin and Philip, for being here. Both thank of you guys. Thanks voices. for having us. <laughs> Both of you guys had some very impactful things to say that I hope, you know, the listeners to the podcast definitely take away. Uh, Phil? All right. So, personally, things that I'd like to see um, as, as, major, as major ways to either help the cause or as change – Obviously, protests are one thing, um, but not only through protests. Um, setting up, uh, asking people to vote in on bills, uh, support. Uh, go to your go to your local governments and try to uh, try to push um, like vo- uh, voter and voter and like community driven like ideals, and then s- submit that with like multiple signatures to. To, to your local governor and mayor and have them look at it and be like, we, we see what the community is saying and we'll try to reform some of our laws to fit what some of the, what the community is asking for. Cause obviously there are some things that the government, like the governor can't control. Like there's federal state law, but like at the same time, they can't completely ignore uh, the federal level. But um, being, being able to at least hear, hear the people who are signing in on, uh, say, for example, if they believe that the police brutality is too much in their specific state, sign in saying, hey, we want police officers to have background checks every month or like a mental health check. Like, we want you to sign this into law because it's ridiculous that cops are getting away with some of this stuff. Uh, like, for like, if they see millions of signatures from or thousands of signatures from their local, from the local community saying this, like, you could easily get um, you can easily get your, uh, at least your, um, your, your part of the government on your, behind your back and being able to make sure that you're, yeah, as you said, making sure that voting in proper legislators and representatives for us is also very important. Um, another thing to look at is, uh, obviously with the presidential election coming up, while we don't have the best candidates, I find it very, I find it very, not, not, not even surprising. I find it very like jarring that we have a president where literally people are saying we want to have any person other than our current president. You don't hear that from other presidents. You're like this president versus that president. It's a team's like they're, they both have sides we agree with and sides that we disagree with. But when you hear like a majority of the country saying we would rather have any other president that is that is just a statement to how bad the current president is. Um, and so being able to uh, being able to vote on the presidential elections, like make sure that you get your vote in, make sure you get your voice heard, um, and making sure that uh, so yeah, basically petitions, prote- uh, peaceful protesting, and. Um, also fundraisers, donations, making sure that you can support local cause, uh, not local, any, any cause related to people struggling in, in uh, financial situations or education or just uh, uh, poor, uh, poor or less well-off communities. There's yeah. multiple different things you can do to at least help the current situation. So I want to go last because I... Uh, I like the idea of taking action, you know, like we talked about, you know, being, you know, 
you know, I'll talk a sheep. So I've been looking into things that people can do. I've actually set up a list um, that I've seen uh, that I'm going to be posting. Yeah, I posted it already, but I'm going to I'm going to post it some more. Basically, a list of what you can do as an ally and what you can do as you know a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. I agree with everybody in what and what everybody said. I feel like <clears throat> what you know, like I watch a lot of commentary around this topic, so I don't know who said it, but somebody said it best. Where it's like you know, change starts, you know big change has to start at a lower level, you know, like while it's great to aim high and aim to change the country, you got to start with your community. You got to start with your local, you know, your, your governor, your, your senators, your, 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 your representatives, your secretaries of state, you know, these people that are in your, like who are close to you. Like I'm looking at right now, literally, on the voter on the voter registration search it was it took me two seconds to find out you know all the state officials that are elected in in nevada and it has their address and their phone number or well, it has it has an address i'm assuming that i just like a it's like a like the city hall but even still so i don't know for me personally like i'm in i'm involved with a bunch of organizations like the grassroots law project and you know um a few other organizations where we just, the Gashu's Law Project basically is, focuses on the families of the victims. So George Floyd's family, Maude Arbery's family, Breonna Taylor's family, and they, uh, they put, they rally and petition and lobby the officials for change, which actually, it, it like, it works. Like there's like, um, I'll post my email, uh, the, an, an email that I got, but, you know, part of it, like the whole mission last week, was to pass the Brianna, the pass the Brianna law in Kentucky, and it, and it passed, thankfully, uh, which banned no knock warrants and and which banned the use of no knock warrants, which is which basically is a warrant that a judge signs for officers not saying that they don't have to knock or announce themselves before they enter a, a place on a raid. You know, like, I think that's a very powerful step. Like, I think what people don't realize and what, what's so easy to, it's so easy to get lost in all the bad news and all the bad shit that's going on. Like, you have to actively seek out some good news, which is why I, I, I think a lot of people were very thankful about for, for, John, for John Krasinski and that why he did so well. People just liked hearing some good news. But those are some things that I'll do. I'll definitely be posting links. Follow my social medias. My Instagram's at Ralphison with three N's. Um, do you guys want to plug anything? Oh yeah, I am selling hoodies and t-shirts, uh, custom hoodies, t-shirts. That, that, those things will be in the bios. But link in bio. Go to my Instagram at a underscore bros underscore tv. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mervin, Phil, did you guys want to plug anything before we sign off? Um, not right now, actually. Not, not particularly, but I'm in the process of building a mental health and wellness app, just to, like have people stay positive. Because I was originally building it just for like coronavirus and things like that, because like the people staying in, you know, people are feeling like kind of down. But when that's when that's officially being launched, I'll send that out. So wait, can I ask one final question? So, how do you guys feel about them thinking about changing the uh, suicide prevention number? Why are they trying to change it to? 
I don't remember, but they're trying to make it a three-digit number, like 911 or something like that. Okay, oh. that I'm absolutely on board with. I was hoping you were going to say that they wanted to make it a three-digit number. That's sorely needed. That's so Yeah, they want to change it to a three-digit number so that, you know, it's easier for people. Because they said, um, so I was watching while I was at work. They said most people fall into, like, fall in line with that they need help or want help, but they kind of hit these walls when they try and call these numbers and all of this that's going on. So they just want to make it a three digit number. So it's easier for everyone to access. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Either that, or you can have it where like, if you hold like, like, like on phones, like if you hold like, like on phones, like if you dial zero, then it's your voicemail. Like if you have something similar to that or like, or like on your phone, like if you dial four, if you dial four one one, it's like your, like your. That's a three digit code, dude. I know, but like I'm saying like you have it programmed so like it automatically so like for example, like you don't have to program four one one for your phone company. You know what I mean? Like you Well yeah, that's what yeah, that's what we're saying. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. That's what I just I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, but, yeah that's what uh, so, um, They specifically want to change it to nine eight eight. So like instead see. of nine one one it's just nine eight eight. I see. I don't yes, see an issue so with that. I mean, if it would, if it fully goes through and everything, the number would be nine eight eight. It currently is still the, uh, you know, the normal suicide prevention hotline number, which is one eight zero zero two seven three eight two five five. But they're thinking they're currently trying to get it changed to nine eight eight. I think that that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming. I'm um, gonna wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys for listening and be sure to tune in on Tuesday where we talk about uh, black members of the LGBTQ community and just members of the LGBT community in general but yeah sounds fun I hope to see you all there uh, any last words before we sign off um, Our- I master ponytail by what you said any last words those were the only words in my head alabaster ponytail Okay. Fight the power. Fight the power. Uh, I guess thanks for having me. That, yeah. That's really about it. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming, and we will see you next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.